I think it was Kierkegaard who once said, uh, yeah, by the way, if I'm at parties, you can see why nobody wants to talk to me. Hey, how's it going? Well, you know, Kierkegaard once said, and they're like, yeah, I'm going to go talk to that person over there. Uh, Kierkegaard once said, life can only be understood backwards, but it must be lived forwards. Well, my guest today on the program, he does just that. His comprehensive understanding of the past motivates him creatively and pushes him in the present day to new artistic heights. Sounds easy, but it's a tricky thing to do, because in between the past and the present, there lies a rocky ravine where it's very simple to get stuck. So how does he avoid that? Well, you're about to find out. I'm Alex Green, and this is Stereo Embers, the podcast. Check this out. It was a cold, cold winter, a war situation, wrong place, wrong time. I thought back to when I was a kid, seeing black and white. I gave what I could, I tried to reach you, but what can you do when time is running out? I let you go, cause everything Today on the program, Jim Shepard. Let me tell you a little bit about Jim Shepard. The Scottish-born singer-songwriter and guitarist Jim Shepard is probably best known for his work with the legendary indie outfit The Jasmine Minx. One of the first bands signed to Alan McGee's Creation Records, The Minx put out a handful of albums, including classics like Another Age, and 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, All Good Preachers Go to Heaven. They toured with bands like the Violent Femmes, Jesus and Mary Chain, and the Go-Betweens, recorded appeal session, got tons of critical acclaim, and got a lot of airplay on college stations all across the U.S., including the one that I used to work for. The band went on hiatus in 2001, reformed in 2010, played sporadic gigs here and there since then, put out a handful of new singles, and have a new album brewing as we speak. In the meantime, Jim Shepard's first solo album has just hit shelves. Titled The Circle, his band for the album includes members of The Loft, The Weather Prophets, June Brides, and The Distractions. A ferocious and thoughtful collection filled with indie rock stomp, melodic mod hooks, and introspective ballads, The Circle is stirring, satisfying, and altogether thrilling work. 
Jim Shepard is one of rock and roll's good guys, and I've known him for a really long time, but we've never actually spoken face-to-face. So here you go. Jim Shepard and I having a conversation right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast. to get Jasmine Mink's album done and that's not happened although it is in the pipeline and I've done all my bits for it so it is kind of uh, halfway there or maybe maybe three quarters there but about 10 years ago I just had a I suppose a, a mad songwriting bout and thought, oh, I really want to do an album. And it's it's got a bit of fire in it. Some of the things I was kind of writing about. And I had a title as well, even, which was stolen uh, from an Edwin Collins song, which was uh, uh, Too Many Protest Singers, Not Enough Protest Songs. So I'm sure you know that lyric. Of course. Um, so I thought that would be a good album title but it's maybe a bit too cheeky to, to to take that but I like the sentiment behind it you know um it's almost like the bravado can be there with with rock bands but maybe not the intent it's maybe more bravado to do with kind of a, a more youthful rebellion without aim, rather than kind of a, I want it to be stories that tell you something, and I want it to be um, maybe little bits of politics in there, but not maybe not to, towards a, or against a political party, but just for the good of all, you know, and the ire and the kind of the, the um, and the fire, the ire and the fire, Kind of uh, was definitely there, so I scrounged together some of those eventually. But yeah, it took me a while. Maybe the ire and the fire is the next album's title. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I'm thinking about I'm thinking about uh, already because it's a year ago that um, about now that um, me and Dave Morgan started kind of planning this album, you know, and recording it, and it was all done within a few weeks. Really, it just takes so long at the moment with vinyl you know to get things pressed so um it's a bit kind of difficult to remember <laughs> what we did now so long ago you know so we've kind of moved on now i've got to kind of think back and we've got a launch gig coming up in a couple of weeks and we've got to kind of try and think get in the in the mood for for what those songs are about you know so are you um are you pals with edwin no, no. We're on opposite sides of the country. He's over in the east. Um, so I don't, it's, it's a little bit kind of uh, before my time, really. I was hugely influenced by Orange Juice. And I think that's 
how we got signed to creation in the first place because um, I started writing songs with a kind of a postcard kind of kind of slant to them. And I think that attracted Alan and other people. So um, we were definitely influenced by them. But I think it wasn't until um, I think I only met uh, Ross, um, who played for Momus at one point, if I remember right. Yeah, so, yeah, but um, yeah, yeah, as the crow flies, we're probably 100 miles apart on the other side of the country. I don't know, it just feels like even in Scotland, it feels like the sort of the, um, that there was a kind of tribal element to packs of groups that seemed to know each other and stick together. Not that it was that it was competitive or there was a rivalry, but just seemed like everyone sort of would group together in their own little clusters. Yeah, I suppose it's natural for young people to find their tribe, like you say. And they had a certain, well, the bands were all different, weren't they? But they had a certain similarity. I don't know what it was, really. Um, it was maybe the Velvet Underground. All the, Maybe they all were influenced by different stages of Velvet Underground. Maybe that's it, something like that, you know. <laughs> maybe uh, Joseph K might have been kind of the first album and... Uh, Orange Juice might have been the third album or something like that. But uh, we had the same thing down in London because by, by then I was down living down in London. And but it was the kind of Scottish diaspora, you know, who got together and probably similar to Postcard, except our kind of we were maybe a bit more 60s influenced through the seeing and being around the television personalities, which was a joy to behold, really, you know. And the fact that Dan Tracy, you know, went on to write so many good songs and good albums is just unbelievable, really, that he doesn't, you know, that. He, they never had hits or anything, never signed to any big label or anything. You know? So um, I think that was probably the unifying thing for us as much as the Velvet Underground. I think the Velvet Underground probably influenced a whole range of tribes, if we're getting back to tribes, to be yeah. honest. You, know, you from, moved to London because you, like, the move to London was based on music. Music kept us together. Tom, our drummer, um, moved down there because his girlfriend was living there. So, and we missed him. You know, we didn't have a band to, a drummer anymore. We didn't have a kind of band together, really, because me and Tom grew up together. So the rest of us just moved. Within a few months, we were all there. And it, it wasn't just us. I mean, first or second house, maybe I lived in, in London. I think there was 12 of us from Aberdeen in that house, you know. So there was probably nearly everybody I knew at some point moved to London, maybe for a few months, maybe for years. I stayed 18 years in the end, you know. So it was a, 
it was because of music that, that gave us the impetus, I think, to, to actually move. But Tom, it was love with Tom. Well, a house with 18, 18 of you guys, or what was it, 18 guys? Or 12, 12. 12 guys. A house with 12 guys. That sounds like uh, what could Not go just wrong? guys. I mean, uh, I don't know what you mean by guys, but yeah, men and women, or girls and boys, because we were very young then. Yeah, it just sounds like, like, uh, like a blast. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was really, really good fun. Yeah. It was great fun. And there was lots of, it was squats at the time in London. So these big houses, you'd get, you'd probably get the SWAT team coming in to get you out now. But then if a house was empty, you know, you could go and live in it. And it's it's obscene now that there are even more houses empty, but they're just impossible to for anybody to do anything with. They're just investments now. Whereas before we could live in a house and nobody seemed to care, you know, and we looked after the houses when I was two or three that I remember living in. And we looked after them and cooked and, you know, and uh, the, this big house, I remember, uh, the, the really big one, uh, had a basement and we used to rehearse in the basement. And it was just, just like, you know, the monkeys or something, you know, it was, it was like us all kind of hanging out together, which was great fun. And that's um, probably how we learned to play together, you know, even though we'd played lots of gigs before in Aberdeen, we hadn't played any in London, we couldn't get gigs in London. Yet those times rehearsing probably brought us, kind of made us a, a bit more musical. Were your parents uh, supportive of you pursuing music as a vocation or as a, um, as a passion? Were they, did you feel you had the green light in terms of their approval? Well, my mum passed away when I was 16, so I'd already, I moved down to London when I was 18, so she wasn't in the picture. My dad, I didn't really talk to him about it. I just said, I'm going to London, and disappeared. Um, and <laughs> uh, I'm just not a very good communicator, I suppose. I've tried, I've tried to improve it since then. But I remember when... Uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, all good preachers go to heaven came out. And I think I went up to Aberdeen a couple of months later. He says, I hear you've got a record out. And he'd find, <laughs> I didn't even tell him, you know. So let's, so you'd need to ask somebody else really who um, had maybe kind of more, better communication with their parents than I did. What about as a parent? Have you become a better communicator? <laughs> 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 I hope I hope so. Anyway, I think I have. I think I have. Yeah. So you're so you're one of your daughters is going to knock on your door and go. I hear you have an album out, Dad. <laughs> well, two of my daughters sing on this album. Okay, so, good. So they they know. So they know about it. No, I think they all know about it. Social media helps with that, I suppose. And uh, I mean, in some ways, my sister, my older sister, is more like my mom in some ways. She's not obviously. She's eight years older than me, and she was in London when I moved down. She was very supportive of anything. I mean, she's just texted me today. I've, I've heard the album. I'm going to go and buy it. I'm thinking, oh, she's going to buy it. You know, they're all buying it. I don't want them to buy it. I'll give them, you know, copies. So um, it's a bit kind of uh, over-supportive sometimes at times when I want to give, 
them something and because uh, they've given enough um, and then they're giving more and more so it's it's nice yeah i don't uh, need to talk so much about the past but because you know, the show really is all about the present day but just filling in the holes and sort of figuring out um, the context for all this. And, and also the thing I wanted to ask you is that it seems to me that as we get older, that we're sort of, we're always moving forward, but we're always sort of thinking about the past in some kind of strange way. Um, do you feel that, because the album to me feels to me very much like forward thinking and also a, a graceful tip of the hat to the past at the same time, which I think is very elegantly done. Um, so do you find yourself sort of in that liminal place where you're straddling the past and the present all, all the time? Are you always grappling with the two? That's a perfect way of putting it, I think, Alex. And I'm sure it's not just you and I who think like that. I think once you get to a certain age, you're, you've got so many memories and so many experiences that you're using them. You're using them to forge your future. You know, and it does, it becomes a kind of a real mix, you know, and sometimes I don't know whether I'm writing about the past or writing about the future. So, you know, sometimes I have little characters um, which are nice and clear because they're characters and characters can have any time, really. Um, but if it's more personal stuff, um, there's maybe a lot of the past in there, maybe an incident or something has happened and it, it makes you write something down, you know, as in a diary or something, or as in a, a, a kind of a confession kind of thing. Uh, and then you kind of somehow you put a little hopeful note in at the end of that, or a little, uh, little piece you think is going to improve things. You know, so, and I think I've always written like that as well, to be honest. So there's there's a mix in there of uh, stories I've read, maybe. Like, I, I, I like the, um, for example, um, the Medicine Sans Frontier. I get their magazine, and I love reading about all the war-torn places around the world and all the help they do, you know. And the song Opposites Attract is kind of, a love story, two people um, trying desperately to get on in a war-torn zone. And things like that really appealed to me. And But you, you also live it as well, as well as being somebody else's story. Like, like any fiction, or not fiction, but you know, any um, story, you want to live it as well. And while, while you're experiencing it, reading it, listening to it, you're kind of you're in there as well. It's in your head, you know. So, um, yeah, all that's in there. It's it's interesting because the past does inform the future for sure. And like I think a lot about about Pat's last record. I think a lot about the the record that the butcher just just put out. And it seems uh, like he was also sort of working with the past and the future. He once told me that he. <laughs> He once told me he described himself as being future blind, that he didn't think about what came next. Um, mm -hmm. But it seems like on that album, he was he was thinking about about it seems but, like it. It seems like it. Yeah. Um, and, it, and it ends up being kind of uh, bittersweet. Uh, and and 
kind of wrenching in, in some ways, like really heartbreaking in some ways too. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Uh, anyway, I'm jumping around, but what, what was your, what was your take on that, on that album? I've only listened to it a few times. I find it quite heartbreaking, you know, listening to it. Um, but you're right, you know, I think he was writing as he ever did. And to kind of put kind of clairvoyance onto it isn't maybe, isn't the right thing, you know. Um, You know, it's it's quite kind of uh, sad for us now when we look, and uh, you know, you, you kind of you hear hear him singing, "Fishes going to heaven," you know, and you think, "Oh my God," you know. But yeah, uh, um, yeah but his stories are there as well, just just the same, you know, Melanie Hargreaves, and you know, just. First class, absolutely first class. So um, it is, I, I think, this album and the um, Last of the Gentlemen uh, album as well. I thought that was fantastic as well, you know. So, yeah. you know, this, uh, he's, he's never put a foot wrong, really, to be honest. No. You know, when he started, it, it was maybe a bit more, a bit more jokey, you know. But they still got that in there now. It's just a bit more. You've got to. You've got to. Kind of, be more open to it. It's not so in your face the the kind of jokiness, you know. But he's he developed a, a very, um, a very, kind of sarcastic kind of sense of humour, you know, which uh, was um, not so obvious. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Just a, I mean, it's just an absolutely uh, massive loss. And it, it also got me thinking a lot about how in this industry, it's very difficult for an artist to get older um, because a lot of times people have you frozen in time, you know, mm-hmm. when they're, they're sort of like, I feel like, I feel like people are really are sort of, they have you in this place in their brain. It's this fixed spot. Um, and you're and any kind of deviation from that spot is uncomfortable for them. Um, they want you to, you know, metaphorically play the hits, right? Mm-hmm. Or they yeah, think of yeah. you in, in that sort of way. I was talking to Steve Kilby of the church about this, where, you know, people were saying like, bring back Marty Wilson Piper. And he was saying, it's not like, because they think Marty Wilson Piper is the best guitar player for the church. It's because they remember him at the moment the music made the most impact for them and that's all that really is mm-hmm. and i think yeah. that's true um have you found that because this business can be cruel in terms of getting older right um mm-hmm. and i'm sure you've observed friends and bands where it's like some do it right and some don't do it right how what has been your philosophy about you know being a musician of a certain age right like how do you or do you not even think about that and think the music transcends age and who cares honestly alex i don't really think about it much i just do what i do you know and i'm just if i'm if i'm into doing music i'll do it and if i'm not i won't um in some ways we're lucky in the Jasmine Minks anyway, we're lucky that we don't play that many gigs. So 
we kind of do the well-known, the creation kind of stuff, and then a few new ones, and it's I'm quite happy to do that. But I think if I was doing it 50 times a year, I would, I would very quickly, you know, want to move on because that's what we always did, you know. Um, so um, getting older, I don't know. I think, you know, I am older. I look older and I sound a little bit older, but I'm amazed some people have said, like, my voice doesn't seem to have aged much, my singing voice anyway, doesn't seem to have aged much, and I sound quite young, which is which is quite nice when people say that. Um, I haven't got a gravelly kind of voice, really, uh, so maybe... I'm not a smoker. <laughs> Maybe that's. <laughs> I'm not a drinker. I'm not a smoker. So I, I don't know. There's all these things that come into it. But um, philosophy. Um, I do have a philosophy, and it's never changed really. I do what I want. I do what I, what I like, and I do compromise as well. So I realize like we're planning this launch gig, for example, and Irish who plays the bass, like I said, right, we'll, we'll do the LP. We'll do the LP, that's our, that's our gig, you know? Oh no, you can't do that. People, people want to hear Jasmine Mink songs. Oh, right, okay. So I've got to kind of, I've got to compromise because <laughs> um, I know I don't want to be an, an ass, really, you know. So I think, yeah, you're right. I bet we better do that. Choose some Jasmine Mink songs. Well, we better do where the traffic goes. We better do think. Um, what about Cold Heart? Um, and then Arish says, well, the thirty second setup. I said, well, yeah, I'll do that because I can't remember the last time we played that. Probably thirty or forty years ago, or thirty years ago, or something. Um, so. Uh, I go as much as far as I can, being reasonable, knowing that we're kind of uh, we're limited by certain certain things. You know, um, I remember our last the last Jasmine Minx album in two thousand and one, Pop Art Glory. I was still in the frame of mind then that right we do the album and that's it. Oh no, we've got to do some. Jasmine Mink song, you know, kind of old Jasmine Mink song, and we did Cold Heart, and I think that was it, and the rest was all new stuff, and I think people came along to the concerts we did, <laughs> and they were kind of, they were pretty full-on concerts, actually, because it was that time, you know, all the electronics and stuff, and it, you just turned everything up full, and uh, slideshows and stuff, it, it was, it was like, um, it was like Velvet Underground <laughs> revisited, you know, like the kind of uh, early creation days, but it was more electronic this time. And I don't know what the audience has made of it, but uh, they seem to quite like it. You know, people people did shout sometimes for things, you know, summer's down. I was like, summer's down. But we haven't done that for, and this was 2001, we haven't done that since about 1985, you know. <laughs> so, so I, I don't know. I'm just not very good at kind of, uh, kind of pleasing people. I've got to think sometimes. I've got to actually 
stop and think, right, okay, no, I'd better actually do things that people want, you know, because my brain just finds it difficult to work that way. I just want to do what I want to do, you know, and uh, so if there's a philosophy in there somewhere, you can, you can <laughs> extract that. Are you better at compromise now than you were in, you know, say 25, 30 years ago? Yeah. Yeah. Somebody's just posted um, on YouTube. Great guys, actually, and called uh, Do The Music. And they've they recorded concerts all through the 80s and 90s, uh, sometimes straight from the desk or sometimes using kind of portable recorders. And they recorded... Um, a concert we did in um, 1986, it was. So we'd already had preachers out, where the traffic goes, think um, what's happening. I think, in fact, what's happening was just out. And I think what's happening was the only song that we did that night that anybody would have recognized. The rest weren't released yet. So that was, that was our kind of, that was our, modus operandi, where we would just do, we'd rehearse stuff, right, that's it, that's what we go out and play. And um, it probably wasn't the best thing to do. You know, we really didn't have managers telling us, giving us good advice, you know, so we would just make it up as we went along. So, um, uh, I'm, I'm listening now. <laughs> Whereas then, we just did it. Now, Arish says to me, oh no, people want to come along and hear this and this and this. And I go, okay, yeah, you're right. You choose some songs and we'll do them. Didn't think I'd grow
just sorting out publishing for the album yesterday with Cherry Red. And they were digging through some songs that hadn't been kind of uh, swept up into publishing because they've been sweeping up all the things that kind of uh, have gone astray over the years. There's crazy things happened with some of the publishing uh, of my stuff anyway. Um, I've gone from company to companies as publishing companies have sold on to another one, to another one, to another one. And some of the songs have just disappeared into strange little companies. Um, so John um, at Cherry Red said to me, well, we've got this song uh, called Walk Away that, that's got your name in it by APB. And I said, I don't remember that, but I did when we were recording our Blue Album with Ian Slater of APB. Um, I do remember jamming along with him and kind of collaborating on something. And uh, he said to me a few years back, he says, oh, by the way, uh, that jam we did back in 1986, it came out in a kind of best of album. I remixed it, it came out in a best of album. It had never been released before. Um, so it's on a CD of uh, APB songs. I still haven't heard it. And uh, so the publisher from Cherry Red has found it, which is brilliant, you know. So I've got a wee credit on there. So I think collaboration has always been there. And even from the, the early days in creation, I wanted to do stuff on my own. But just in, in fact, Alan McGee took me around to Cherry Red Records 1984, I think it was. Yeah, 1984, took me around to Cherry Red Records and says, I think this guy should do an album, you know. And I wanted to do something like uh, Jurite Column or uh, something kind of uh, kind of ambient kind of guitar, maybe uh, Cocteau Twins or something like that. It never came off in the end because I think we got too busy with the Jasmine Minx, but... There was, there was always other things I wanted to do, you know, or worked with other people, you know, Primal Scream, I was working with them for a wee bit, helping them record and stuff like that. So it's always been something I've, I've uh, been happy to work with other people and I work best with other people. I'm not so good at actually. Do you have relationships still with Alan or with Bobby? Are you still pals with, the, with these guys? Um, only with Alan. Um, I've no contact at all with with Bobby um, and Andrew Innes is in contact with some of the other guys in the band um, um, and email back and forth a few times, but I've not had anything to do with Andrew, although I've heard him, I've had messages passed on, oh, Andrew says hello kind of thing, but that, that's as far as it's got really. In terms of your, you know, bringing your daughters in to, to collaborate with you on this album, you know, which is, I think is really kind of cool. Um, that must have been a neat, a neat thing to sort of like have your daughters play on your record. Yeah, well, I, I wanted to have some good singers on there and they sing really, really well. So I thought, do you want to come and sing on a song? You know, uh, yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. But um and it ended up being one song, but I don't think they realised how much work is involved, you know. Like, I suppose you think a, a kind of three-minute song takes three minutes to 
to record, but obviously it's ours. <laughs> kind of, oh no, we'll get that bit a little bit different. Oh no, the kind of microphone wasn't at the right level, and you and you work bits out. So um, they've got a good kind of idea of, and that's me, and I'm quick. <laughs> you know, <laughs> some people would take speaking about Bobby. You know, um, when we were recording Another Age, uh, which took us a week in 1987 I think it was and I remember Alan would turn up in the evening head in hands you know um what's up Alan he says oh I've just come and Bobby's taking forever doing his vocals you know he really wants them perfect and he's been all day doing one line and I think he's I think Alan's maybe watching the clock kind of thinking about the money running out kind of thing and then he'd see us and I'd say, well, we've done three songs today, you know, and he'd go, and he'd see him and go, oh, brilliant. And he'd be so pleased, you know, oh, that sounds great. sounds great, you know, and that's how we worked. And that's how I work as well. Just want to get things done. Um, so I know that it's not always like that. It can be a tedious process for, for some people, you know, maybe it's not tedious for them, but it's tedious for people around, you know, if you're taking kind of all day to do a vocal, you know, you think, oh my God. <laughs> or you're Lee Mavers and you just keep recording and not liking anything and using nothing mm-hmm. for 35 yeah, yeah. years. Well, right. yeah, Primal Scream did that as well. I remember recording with them up in Edinburgh and we recorded a load of songs um, and they never saw the light of day some of the songs did but not those recordings really oh yeah yeah so it was uh you know it's some people are really kind of quite fussy you know and it's it's a good thing to be and it's worked out well for for primal scream because they they improved hugely i think through kind of being so fussy whereas maybe we just improved gradually because my kind of way of working is, right, we've got a week. And I'm very literal. So, you know, if Alan says to us, you've got a week in the studio to record this album, I do I do loads of work. Like, right, we've got a week. We've got to do this on day one. We've got to do this on day two. And then on, you know, on Friday, we'll have it all mixed and that's it. And it's done, you know. And so it's... Uh, you know, there's, I'm not fussy, <laughs> I don't think, <laughs> I just think, that's oh, fine, that's it, it's done, what's the next thing? Yeah, there's a, there's a balance, because I, I totally understand the sort of, like, the fussy architect, I get it, and I also love the sort of beat generation, the, the initial moment of inspiration is that, that flash is what you want to capture, like, I get that too, I see the problem on both ends. So if you can mm-hmm. sort of figure out how to get in the middle of inspiration and architecture and sort of blend them somewhere in that middle point, I think you you could save time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the only thing is, you know, middle, kind of just the word, as soon as you say the word middle, my hackles go up, you know, I'm thinking, oh God, middle, kind of, I just think mediocrity, middle class. I just think yeah. all these things that are in the middle and they're not actually don't have any kind of uh, substance. So I kind of quite like the extremes. I like both those extremes I've mentioned, you know, but obviously, you know, you're right. <laughs> yeah, but middle is a word that's kind of freighted 
with like, oh, middle of the road, middle of the, you know, but yeah, but I guess balance might be a better word, right? That sort of balance, you know? Um, But I do like what you're saying of the idea that if you, you know, like Primal Scream did make a huge artistic leap and maybe, you know, there was that moment from like 87 to 91 where it was like a different band. It was like, holy cow, they really just, they just grew artistically. And I like what you're saying because maybe Mm -hmm. what they were doing in the studio with all that fussiness was like, practicing and getting better that's just a that's a band getting better even though it's like on someone mm-hmm. else's dime and it's taking a long time it's like they're improving mm-hmm. they're putting the hours in yeah you're dead right yeah i mean we did that once with uh cut me deep that was the only time we spent a lot of effort put a lot of effort into recording but the best thing about cut me deep the best thing about the whole story, that was two weeks recording that one song, which was really interminable. The best thing is the mix we actually used was after the first day recording. And it was a rough mix and it wasn't even a final mix. And that is the one you hear on the record. The next two weeks was just, it was just trying things out. And it was, you know, just experimenting, trying all sorts of electronic things, programming, and then different vocals. And in the end, we gave a mix to Alan and he kind of sat on it for a few days and he phoned me up and he says, he's said, I'm sorry, we can't have this on the label. And it was like, it was a big production, you know, and it was kind of a, it wasn't us though. It just wasn't us. And I says, okay, well, that's fine, yeah. And uh, he says, can't we get that mix from the first day? (laughs) I says, well, that was just a rough mix. That was just capturing this in the studio kind of thing, you know. But um, that was the one that was used. But the beauty of that is Wolf Smarties was good enough to get us to really, like a Phil Spector, going over and over the song, really, really going over it. And every single detail of the song, then at the end of the first day, right, this is this is the arrangement we're having, and we'll do it. And we, we run through it. And the beauty of him is that he could record that perfectly. And it was, it was exactly, it was perfect. But we just didn't realise it at the time till, till we'd... <laughs> Spent weeks, weeks, kind of uh, twisting the whole thing round and turning it upside down and taking it apart and putting it together again, and it just sits like Frankenstein's monster, you know. It's just got all these bits, and probably ten percent of it was us, and the rest was kind of uh, I don't know, like Lamange or something, you know. It just was. <laughs> It really wasn't us. Well, I mean, it's it's probably not only one of my favorite Mink songs, but it's probably one of my favorite songs of all time. And I think that what I love about that song is the urgency of, of the vocal, like the urgency. When I first heard that track, I, it just knocked me out. And it's one of those songs that never doesn't knock me out, even after listening to it 10,000 times. And so when I'm saying, mm-hmm. Alan was right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right as usual <laughs> as usual um it i mean it is so it's interesting because what what was captured in that initial um version of it is exactly what i think makes you guys so great with that that urgency that power 
um, th because that that's such a beautiful blend of like muscle and melody. It's just it's perfect. It's like a perfect three minutes of music, you know. It, it, because of what we did, it tainted the whole song for us. So it never came out as a single. We, we recorded it as a single and we knew it was going to be a single. I remember the first time that we ever played Cut Me Deep live and Alan was at the back of the venue. I could see him at the bar. It was, a, it was a long, thin venue and he was at the bar. I think he was nursing a whiskey or something. And uh, he's kind of, he looked a bit morose actually. He looked, he was, looked hunched over. Um, but he was lit up somehow. It's just not a dream. This is real. And I just started singing, you cut me deep. And uh, his head went up. He looked at the stage. Next thing I know, I could see him walking through the crowd. And he was just staring at me. <laughs> and that's Alan all over, all over, you know, after the gig. What's that song? What's that song? Um, you cut me deep. What is that? What's that one? You know. That's a single. And we kind of knew it as well because um, it just felt right from, from the start, but it never became a single, so. You cut me deep You cut me deep So deep You made me strong You made me strong So strong You made me Yeah, but and I also think that you you must have learned something in the process of we didn't use any of the toil, right? Any of the toil and the tinkering, we used none of that. That must have been an interesting message to send back to yourself of like, after all of this, we went with the initial thing. Did that sort of inform how you moved forward sonically? Yeah, well, like I said, it was two weeks doing that, which was mostly Wilf, to be honest. Um, the second week was probably me and Wilf, and he was getting me to do little bits. So it was just the two of us. Um, a month or two later, we booked a week in Alaska studios to do, to do another age. And I'd learned loads from working with Wilf. I'd learned it's important to be in time. I'd learned that, um, Use a click track is a good way to be to get time. So I set metronome timings for each song. So we had that running. So Tom always had to play with a metronome after that, which was great because live, you know, you can do what you want, but on a record, you want it to sound, you want to have the space and you want to have enough kind of professionalism that that um, it doesn't it doesn't sound like we're falling apart, which we did in the early records, which had its charms and are probably a lot of people's favorite era of Jasmine Minx. But I know also a lot of people like the Another Age era as well. 
So uh, it works both ways. I think we get got a bigger audience with another age, but now there's more nostalgia for the early creation stuff earlier than another age. Another age was 87 or 88. And to go in, to learn that much from one person, it's, you know, it did, did me a huge amount of power. So that's how, we, that's one of the reasons um, we could go in and do a whole album in a week, whereas you can easily go down the road of kind of doing one song every two weeks or every month and take a whole year or something, which, to be honest, is ridiculous. It's ridiculous. I can't, I can't really see the why people do that, you know. But, um, yeah. So, how did, did you learn, learn a lot? What about bands like, how did you regard a band like Spaceman 3? Did that, uh, did that appeal to you? Because there's a lot of architecture there, it sounds like. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I love Spaceman 3. Um, repetitive. Um, and the beginning, I suppose, of the kind of shoegaze kind of genre. Um, and nods to, again, Velvet Underground. This, this seems to be all we're talking about um, as far as influences are concerned. But yeah, you know, they were really, really good. And I can see why people would go for it. And Jason took that on as well, to um, as did Sonic, uh, to, to their next kind of incarnations as well. Um, yeah, I mean, I can get that because I was into public image. So they were kind of, they were early, maybe pioneers of, of kind of repetitive songs. And Spaceman 3 took it and maybe a bit more melodically. But yeah, I liked them. I thought they were really, really good. When you obviously we used to see Jason sometimes because we played a lot of gigs with Jazz Butcher back then, you know, and Jason would turn up because they were they were good friends, you know. So, yeah, I know the Butcher loved Spaceman Three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is I, I always loved that that uh, connection there. Um, for in terms of of moving forward, when you think about like okay, solo album, Minx album, do you feel like there's no reason to not be putting out albums regularly, right? I mean, like, why not? Um, do you feel creatively um, alight right now? Do you feel like you are firmly planted in that creative space where you have a lot to say, you have a lot of work you want to put out? I just like doing music and it's only recently that we've had people coming to us and saying, we'll put out a record by you. It's not really happened uh, much in the 21st century. Um, I'd love to have done, done more. I mean, I'd, be, I'd be happy to do an album every couple of years or something, you know, throughout yeah. my musical career. But to be realistic, there's peaks and troughs and who's interested in kind of uh, putting out records, I think, 
we're quite fortunate at the moment. There's maybe two or three labels who would be interested. And I don't know if that's the vinyl revival or what it is, but we've been playing a few gigs over the last kind of four or five years, maybe three or four a year or something, you know, which is great. So it's on a kind of needs, needs must kind of uh, basis, you know, I'm, I'm happy to do records and I love doing it. And um, as far as creativity is concerned, there's times when I've not had any records out and not had anything planned and not been involved with anything. And I've got so many songs sitting there that my kind of creativity just kind of gets, kind of dissipates. So um, I think I need to have a record as a focus. Then I can dig out songs or I can, it'll give me the, the motivation to write new ones or to, or to kind of adapt bits I've got or whatever. So that's how I work, really. Is the Jasmine Binks album going to be, has that a label has already been decided or is it too soon to even? Um, it's a bit too soon, but um, it would be nice to go with uh, Spin Out Nuggets again, but uh, uh, it's up to the rest of the guys and, and Lee at Spin Out as well, you know. Um, but it's, it's, um, it's got to come out now, you know. I mean, I kind of, <laughs> it's, uh, 2019, October 2019, I kind of uh, finished all my bits, you know. So uh, it's a bloody long time ago. But obviously COVID's been, been uh, uh, a big factor there, you know. But um, so hopefully this, this year will get all finished and uh, get out next year. It's totally different to how we used to work, you know. I, um, I've still got the kind of uh, impatience. I'm still very impatient. I can't believe I've waited a year for, for an album to come out and got and able to talk about it. So I must I must be improving a bit in my patience. Um, but three years, chief was. I think you've got to kind of just kind of have a blank slate and then write, okay, let's look afresh at it and we'll pretend it's it's just brand new now and kind of get into that frame of mind because there's no other way to do it to get the kind of the same urgency that you that you have when you're kind of you want to get something done now and now is not even soon enough, you know. Does everybody live nearby? I mean, is is the band as a unit, are you guys, I mean, my first, my inclination as a fan is to say like, do you guys hang out? <laughs> like, I want to know if you guys hang out. Yeah, we do. I mean, we're all, the best times I have is when we meet up for gigs. But, you know, um, Dave Musker, Tom, Martin, they're all that kind of Southeast England. So they're a good 550 miles away or something. What is over on the east coast? So he's kind of like 150 miles away. So we're far away, and that's the main problem, really. You know, um, I'm quite happy to do stuff to record it and send it to people, you know, but uh, not everybody likes to work that way. You know, some people like real 
bands rehearsing, you know, and I totally get that. But I've kind of gone past that. I think I like to fiddle around in the, on my 16 track and just kind of uh, can work at things uh, much. It's less stress, I think, <laughs> in some ways recording at home. Now, I do like to do as much as I can at home anyway, because there's something kind of quite intimidating about being in a studio with lots of people staring at you through the goldfish bowl, you know, and you're trying to kind of dig up this kind of uh, emotion. Uh, it's a far cry from uh, going down to the basement where in a house where 12 people live, right? I mean, the convenience yeah. of like, hey, let's go down and, and, and jam. Now it's like everyone's 150 miles apart. Um, it makes you think like in terms of, again, going back to the nostalgia of how easy it used to be to access the people in your band. <laughs> you just go downstairs. Yeah, right? yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, I mean, I have in the last few months, you know, I've collaborated with, you know, uh, a few people. And it's just somebody sends me through something saying, you know, do you fancy doing some guitar on that? And I'll say, oh, I'm really busy, but I'll try and get it done the next kind of week or something. Before I know it, I've got it back to them that evening. You know, I've got a kind of guitar done and because I just couldn't wait. You know, I just, oh, no, I'll just go and do it. You, you know. have the, the the spirit of the beatnik is, uh, right? <laughs> You've got the Ginsburg uh, spirit of uh, let's just, let's knock it out. Let's, let's go where inspiration goes and honor it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, um, I know for Pop Art Glory, that was the first time you guys had sort of like experimented with technology of like, I'll mail you this part, you mail me that part, which is a totally different way of making a record than you were used to. But now... I mean, that was 20 years ago, whatever it was, right? And so that's now not uh, uncommon. That's, in fact, that's how mm -hmm. many albums get made. Um, have you sort of given into the idea of, there is a lot more architecture now using, using um, different mediums than it would be to sort of like, hey, let's all get into the studio together. That's not like that anymore. Have you embraced this way of being a band? Yes and no. Um... I think those of us who are quite happy to work at home have, and those who haven't get in a studio, you know, we've been using Pat Collier, you know, so we're back right back to day one, I think was recorded at Pat Collier studio. Now we're back using Pat Collier studio in South London. So it's whatever suits you best, really. Um, what we're missing more is the rehearsal times together that was an important thing and that can't happen very often occasionally we rehearse for gigs but to be honest I don't even feel like when I need to rehearse some of the other guys like to rehearse before gigs but I don't know if I need to rehearse where the traffic goes or cut me deep to be honest you know um I could sing it in my sleep so um but rehearsals for new songs is is where some of the songs get a good life. You know, they begin to come together. But you can do that. I think you can do that just as much at home if you've got the song on loop and you're just it's it's a similar process, but maybe it's just not as interactive. 
So, um, what's your what is your daily practice? Are you do you play every day? Do you are you always doing music every day in some form or another? Or some days do you just not do anything? I have months when I don't do anything uh, musically, um, and then I'll play and I'll play every day, maybe a guitar or piano and I'll play every day. Let's say I take in a liking to, liking to the, the piano, I'll play at the piano for maybe a month every day, nonstop, kind of just trying to write songs or to, or to just play for the sake of, you know, uh, performing and just enjoying myself. So it depends, it depends. And with writing, with lyrics, I'm quite a free form writer. So I tend to just jot down loads and loads and loads and loads, and then just put lines through most of it. And and for the first time in this album, um, there was times where I didn't even write lyrics. I maybe had a verse or two, then I'd say, right, I've not got a verse here. I switch on the recorder and I'm just gonna make it up and see what comes out. And uh, then maybe change a few words and redo it. So that was a bit of experimenting I'd never done before. Um, but lyrics uh, in general, I can do separate, completely separate from the music. And some of the best songs I've been involved with because uh, Adam Sanderson was such a fantastic lyric writer. Was if he'd give me kind of a cold heart and I just go, my God, that's just, and I just strum a chord and straight away I'm singing it without even, without even having to come up with anything really. It's just there. It's already there. I can see it. It's almost like the music. He gave me the music and the words, but he didn't. He just gave me the words, but I knew what the music was as soon as I saw the words. And that's, that's a beautiful thing. You know, that's, uh, it's, I love doing stuff like that. I know it might be weird for some artists who are listening to this, you know, young writers, painters, musicians who hear you say like, yeah, I, would, I wouldn't do anything for months. But as a writer myself, there are there are weeks or months that go by where I don't do anything, but I'm mm -hmm. still thinking about it. Like in my brain, even mm -hmm. if I don't think I'm thinking about it, I know that I am okay. thinking about it. Right. Yeah. 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 Uh, you're right. Yeah, I think. In the 80s, I probably never went a day without playing a guitar or thinking of something to do with a song while having the guitar on my lap. But you're right, I'm, I'm probably thinking about songs all the time, but then, like I said earlier, they dissipate if, if, if I'm not using them, you know. I think the muscle's still there, the music muscle's still there. It's just that I'm quite happy to let it kind of drift off and not be used. And I think that that's being practical. That's just being a bit more realistic. There's nobody who is interested in putting out my music. So um, there's not much point at the moment. Then in the last few years, all of a sudden, there's kind of, you know, there's two albums worth of songs now, you know, because two different people have said, oh, will you do an album for me? Oh, right, brilliant, yeah, of course. You know, and then it's a big impetus. I suppose it's like doing a show, you know, you kind of, you, you can 
you can sing in the shower, you know, and that's fine. But if you've got a show to do, you'll kind of, right, I'll do this and I'll do that. It's not, it's a bit more organization. It's a bit more, there's a deadline and there's all these things that come into play, which, which I like. I like the kind of stress of that. I like the, I like the push of it. I'm convinced though that I think that the, I do too. I, I think that if I'm, if I'm really impacted, I'm very effective. And if I'm not that impacted, I'm sort of like a little like, eh, you know, I'm not, I'm not as, I'm not firing mm -hmm. on as many cylinders as I should be. I do feel that it's important for any artist to know that if you look at like the, like the graph of, of activity and you see spaces in between, I think the spaces in between are part of the process. I mean, I almost think mm -hmm. your brain has to reset and almost not be thinking consciously. You're probably thinking unconsciously, but I think that's part of the process now. I've, I've learned to sort of like honor that space and, um, and, and, and just feel that it's actually all part of one big thing. Yeah, yeah, I think I did, right? I mean, your writing obviously is structured. Your writing is absolutely brilliant. It's really well structured and it has a real kind of, um, and it's long as well, you know, I couldn't write anything. You know, the difference between me and you, I'm writing maybe a few verses, you know, because you're writing kind of reams. So um, it's a bit easier. So if I, if I come across a story and I thought, oh, I really want to represent that in a song, I've got to kind of just distill it. And that happens with the space as well. So maybe the story is there already, the kind of the two lovers who kind of, <laughs> are kind of stuck uh, in the freezing cold in a war they don't want to be in. And it kind of, maybe I forget about it, but it comes back and it's just a few lines here and there, you know? So it's it's maybe closer to poetry, but I couldn't, I don't think I could write poetry to save my life, but um, it's closer to that, I think, than, than any structured kind of, uh, lyric writing but maybe maybe people uh, can can make their own minds up about that and can can kind of uh think wider <laughs> maybe they see a wider picture you know, and it'll yeah, be a different and, picture than i'd see <laughs> and thank you for the kind comment that that's that means a lot to me to hear you say that thank you I, um yeah i you know it's interesting because i feel like the sort of productivity uh, as I've gotten older, is more valuable to me. Because um, it seemed like when we were younger, we had time to burn. Like, we'll go down to the basement, we'll, go, oh, we'll do whatever we gotta mm -hmm. do. We just, you know, it just seemed like you had it on tap. You had time on tap. And I'm very, I'm very in tune now with the idea that, that, I, that I don't, that we don't, you know? It's just like one of those mm -hmm. things where it's just, I mean, it's just, you know, it's a, you don't have to be a numbers guy to sort of even, even know that. But that's actually made me more productive. It's made me mm -hmm. more, um, okay. I, so I see it almost as a, <laughs> I know I framed it negatively, but it feels like a good thing, mm -hmm. you know? Well, it's it's your own urgency, isn't it? It's, yeah. you know, it's like time isn't on tap anymore. Maybe, maybe it is. Uh, you're, <laughs> you're kind of getting a bit, kind of a, you're seeing your own morbidity, you know, so. Um, that's that's enough of a of motivation and impetus to to get things out.
Yeah, I thought in the interview on a happy note, Jim. That's all. <laughs> Sorry, it doesn't. It's not me. It's it's you I'm talking about. Um, because I'm really not. I'm really not fussed at all. You know, I'm enjoying. You know, if I can get some. So if anybody wants me to record something, yeah, brilliant. I love doing music. I love writing. I love doing this. But if nobody asks me, you know, I'm not going to do stuff. So I'll just kind of wait, wait around because we've had those, I've had those quiet periods before where where nobody's kind of, uh, nobody's wanted to put anything out, you know? So it happens, you know, it happens uh, with the Jasmine Minks when kind of happy Mondays all took off and everything. And I thought, that's brilliant. They're, they're fantastic. But we're still kind of chugging along doing kind of, mod rock kind of type stuff you know and think it's not going to fit so oh well we'll go and do something else for a bit and come back maybe i didn't i didn't think we'd come back but, uh, but we did i want to say one quick thing on mod rock i've just this is embarrassing but i have just really not that i hadn't heard him before i've just i don't know why i immersed myself in the last few months in the small faces just mm -hmm. immersed myself and i didn't realize I always knew they were great. I didn't realize they were as great as they are. And I also didn't realize that they're as weird. They're kind of a weird band, you know? <laughs> they're weird. And what a ferocious singer, but I just, it makes me think that mod rock is very eternal. Um, and I, to me, the Minx just sound ageless and timeless and perfect in the same way that, for, that the small faces do. So, I, you know. Wow, that's a compliment. That's amazing. I mean, it does seem like we're getting a bit more press at the moment, so I'm, I'm hoping that that is that is a wider, wider kind of held view. But um, yeah, thanks very much, Alex. That's wonderful. Well, I, I've enjoyed talking to you, and I've known you for a long time that we haven't actually spoken. Recently. I know, I know, I know. It's great to speak to you properly. And you, and I hope you'll come back and do it again. Well, thank you very much for having me. sweet guy jim shepherd really just one of the greats uh his new album the circle is amazing trust me get it spinoutproductions.com uh or go to jimjasmine.bandcamp.com pick up a copy for yourself and all your friends they will thank you forever and hey while you're at it pick up some jasmine minx albums they are indispensable they're absolute classics all of them so get some jasmine minx into your collection as soon as possible. AlexGreenOnline.com is where you need to go to find out what's happening with me. Not that much lately, to be honest. Uh, no live events planned, no author interviews, no live podcast, but that could change as COVID wanes. Is it waning? I feel like maybe it isn't, but I'm hoping it is uh, so I can get back out there into your town and I can terrorize people in person with a microphone. Uh, follow me on Twitter at Ember's Editor. Follow me on Instagram at Ember's Podcast. Please, if you're an email kind of person, do not hesitate. 
editor at StereoEmbersMagazine.com. And don't forget, how could you, because I tell you every week, Stereo Embers, the podcast, is available on all podcast platforms. Go to the one that you use, subscribe, rate, and review. Tell all your friends. Have them tell all their friends. And have everybody report back. Uh, BombshellRadio.com is where you need to go to find out what's happening with our radio station. I believe that is all of the business items I have for you today. But trust me, there will be more. Let's close the show with a longer listen to Opposites Attract from Jim Shepard's new album, The Circle. Enjoy it. And thank you, as always, for listening to Stereo Embers, the podcast only right here on Bombshell Radio. The world situation Wrong place, wrong time